Generally speaking, the internet's a pretty fun place. It puts information at our fingertips, helps us stay better connected to people that we love, and even allows us to listen to some pretty great research-focused university podcasts, though I may be biased. But if we're being honest, there are some other aspects of the internet that aren't so great. Cyber attacks, threats, fake information. Quite frankly, these things can just ruin your day. And I'm curious how the rise of artificial intelligence, specifically generative artificial intelligence and chatbots, is changing that landscape. And what average folks like myself need to be aware of to help stay safe while we're out there looking for cat videos. Well, thankfully, Virginia Tech's Bimal Viswanath was kind enough to answer my questions. Bimal is an assistant professor of computer science at Virginia Tech whose research interests broadly cover security and privacy aspects of large online services. So I talked with Bimal a little about what drew him to this line of research and what some of the biggest changes have been since he started it, as well as just some of the basic questions that I have. Like, what's the difference between something that's fake and deep fake? And how exactly does a large language model even work? And we also got to talk a little bit about a current project he's working on with the Commonwealth Cyber Initiative that aims to help identify and reduce toxic language in chatbots. So it's a bit of a wide-ranging conversation, but it is the World Wide Web after all. I'm Travis Williams, and you're listening to Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations. How did you get into this space of mitigating, understanding, uh, detecting online threats? Well, that uh, it's been so many years. Um, so I was always motivated by, I mean, I enjoy doing algorithms, data mining, um, machine learning wasn't that popular back in the day. Um, there were a, there were a smaller group of people working on on ML and or AI. But at the time, I was very interested in, in graph uh, data mining in general. And um, I was part of a group where they had this sort of a security focus as well. So that, of course, um, helped me motivate myself to uh, jump and explore, and basically made me more curious to explore topics in security. And this was a time when Facebook and all these social media platforms were just taking off and just became extremely popular, uh, getting a large user base. And uh, suddenly we have all sorts of online um, um, abuse problems on these platforms. So that was the sort of the start of this whole thing. Uh, we studied, uh, we did one of the first few studies um, uh, looking at online behavior on platforms like Facebook. Uh, this was back in 2010. Um, and uh, we released some data sets about how users behave on these online platforms. Uh, but we still had very little understanding of what are the different types of misbehavior, um, how are people exposed to harms on these platforms. Um, and uh, there were attackers just trying to monetize, uh, make money off of these platforms in different ways. So the platforms like Facebook themselves were, I, I believe, probably just tr- just getting started. Um, trying to focus more on the threats and not just the usability of the platform, but also safeguarding their platform from other threats and so on. Um, so that was the beginning, right? And then we saw that, okay, many of the threats that we saw at the time um, as has uh, completely evolved over the years. And now we have machine learning, uh, advanced machine learning approaches that are far more advanced. And this, this enables newer kinds of threats. Uh, an example would be AI-generated content that can completely mislead people on these platforms. Uh, so, so we had to rethink many things in terms of the, the from the defense side of things or how to secure these platforms. Um, 
So this has been sort of the journey. And right now we are focused on uh, threats posed by AI or machine learning uh, advances and how, and it's not just focused on social media platforms, but general, you know, online platforms in general as well. So that was sort of the start, uh, I would say. What's been the biggest change since you began? I know you joined the Department of Computer Science at Virginia Tech, I think in 2018. What's been the kind of the biggest shift you've seen, maybe maybe even since you joined Virginia Tech? Oh, I mean, that's very easy. Uh, it just happened in the last uh, few years. So foundation models um, or large machine learning models that are trained on extremely large data corpuses. They are, for example, um, a model that, I mean, a tool that all of all of, you, all of us uses now or is familiar with now is like ChatGPT, right? Uh, these are powered by these uh, uh, machine learning uh, models called large language models. You can have the same for computer vision uh, or other modalities as well. And these uh, advances have completely changed the game, I believe. And it has a lot of serious implications when it comes to online harms, uh, both from a security standpoint and from a privacy standpoint. Uh, this has been the biggest change I have noticed. What about that change has made it so challenging? First, we still don't, uh, this is just happening right now. Um, things are evolving at a very fast pace. The community itself is grappling to understand what are the, the key challenges? So I'm, let's say we're focusing on, only on the security and privacy angle or the, the implications. Even that part is, is still an ongoing space, right? It's still a very, we're still trying to understand what are the possible harms? What, what are the ways in which uh, these uh, systems could inflict harm to users? What are the things we are aware of and what are things we don't know yet, right? So this is one of the first things, right? Understanding the, the, the threat landscape. And I, I see in our community, both uh, there is currently a lot of activity in, among industry as well as academia, because if you think about it, a lot of these systems were first released by industry and academia followed, uh, but they still do hold one of the largest, um, some of the largest models released in the space. Uh, so there is ongoing uh, collaboration between industry and academia on, on just trying to sort of uh, define the threat landscape here. Um, and that's an active discussion in the community. So once we understand that, uh, we need to tackle each of them. And it's a very broad landscape, right? Um, way too many things to, to study. Um, so it's, it's exciting. At the same time, it is, uh, we have to be, you know, it's very challenging as well. And, uh, you know, a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah. It's, it sounds like you're a little bit of like a, a, a frontiers person. I and mean, in this in this space, you have to go out and explore kind of the territory and learn it before you can really figure out what to do with it. Yes, I, I believe I'm not alone. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure in, in, in our community in security, there are a lot of researchers thinking exact same way. Um, so, so, yes, indeed. Well, is there a way, uh, maybe for somebody who's never heard of uh, or is maybe heard of generative AI or a, a large language model. Um, could you maybe basically, how, how, how would you basically explain that to somebody, how that, how that works to somebody that's never heard about it? You, let's say you have a, a, a large uh, ton of data. Uh, this can be a data set of, of a lot of images that you find online. Um, you can fit a, a statistical model that learns uh, this data distribution or learns to, to fit this data distribution and now has the ability to create new synthetic variations of that data. 
Now, it can create these synthetic variations with very high fidelity, meaning if you have an image or data set of images of uh, people, people's faces, it can create very photorealistic, um, high-quality images of faces. That's one thing. Second thing is, it has, we have also built so many mechanisms that allow us to control the generation of the synthetic content. So we can literally just type in what we would like to see and it will produce an image that describes described by that text. And this is not just in the case of images. Here now there is uh, there are tools that can do this across different modalities and they are also merging modalities, right? So be it audio, video, images, or any other domains as well. In theory, other domains can also be, you can apply these things to other domains as well. So indeed, this is a very significant development. What is the difference between something that's fake and something that's deep fake? Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about the exact term. Uh, the way that the term deep fake, right? So the, that term is used usually because many of these algorithms of the generative AI models that can be used to create synthetic content uh, were powered by neural networks, okay? Or, or are still powered by neural networks, most of them. And they are deep neural networks, means you can think of them as uh, a neural networks having many layers uh, of, uh, in their model architecture, and it's extremely deep network learning very complex features in the, or many complex patterns in the data. Uh, that's where you get got the term as a deep fake, but um, I think it may be a may more general term to use is just say it's synthetic, right? Uh, whereas the term fake, you know, you can say there are so many things that can be fake. I mean, even if, uh, let's say, a human writes a review, um, is, you know, tries to write misleading reviews online, you can call that a fake review, right? Um, so I would prefer to use the, the, the term, let's say, you know, synthetic content. Maybe that's a better term. Uh, but it depends on the context. But the community, you know, they have access to terms like deep fake or deep fake text or deep fake audio or deep fake images. So I think it doesn't really matter that much as long as we are we clarify what we mean by that. Yeah. So, so maybe a maybe a better way to divide that up might be con like fake content that's created by humans versus synthetic content. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know you also, um, you do some work with the uh, Commonwealth Cyber Initiative, and I believe that was maybe some of your work there resulted in or is connected to a National Science Foundation grant to look at ChatGPT or maybe chatbots in general uh, related to toxicity and to, to help maybe detect that and mitigate that. So what are you doing in, in that area? Yeah, that's uh, something that we're very excited about right now. Uh, so chatbots... Um, are again powered by large language models and they are also generative models. Um, and we have seen widespread adoption of this technology, right? Um, so ChatGPT is the most popular one. Uh, but if you go to these online platforms like Hugging Face, um, you will find tons and tons of models, um, chatbot models or language models that you can adapt for various uh, dialogue uh, system tasks. Okay. And uh, this is great. This is great. I mean, you can uh, replace a human to help other people accomplish certain tasks, get responses, be a personal assistant and so on. But the problem is that with these uh, chatbots, um, they can pick up uh, undesired language or produce undesired utterances or conversations due to imperfections in their data set, in their training data. 
and this has already shown to be a, a concern but we do not yet understand to what extent this is problematic in different large chatbot models out there um, so what do i mean by imperfections right so a lot of these chatbot models are trained on internet data or internet data meaning basically data of human to human conversations okay now just think about how we talk online right think about plat different platforms that you might be familiar with reddit or think about extreme cases maybe perhaps 4chan right now you have these models trained on you know they basically indiscriminately scrape content off the web and trained on these um, uh, on the such human to human conversational data and this data will have a lot of undesired language uh, toxic language uh, broadly speaking if you can use the word toxicity as a very broad covering anything that that can be harmful and if you train a model on that data the model is going to pick up on those imperfections and then there's also produce toxic uh, language and this can be harmful depending on the situation right so let's say you build a personal chat chat assistant to assist, assist with sensitive groups of people um they could be exposed to this language and that's really bad um so we we aim to study the the extent of this toxicity in different chatbots um what also to understand what causes this toxicity what kind of language how does it pick up this toxic language during training and we come up with methods to uh, mitigate such toxicity and develop training environments that can result in a you know largely non toxic model even if the underlying dataset contains toxic language yeah it, it sounds kind of like chatbots are in some ways kind of like a child that's stuck in a room with a lot of adults using foul language and they're just picking it up and we have to figure yes. that out and then how to get the kid to quit using it yes exactly yeah well what are some things whether it be related to ChatGPT uh, or some of the other apps out there, what are what are just some general things that the average person should be aware of when they start to use some of these uh, AI-related apps? I think the first thing, I, you know, a lot of people tend to probe these models or ask these models to get information, right? Um, they might also provide it some text and, and, and say, can you analyze this text and answer some questions related to this 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 article things like that right so one thing you have to sort of realize is that uh these chatbots can hallucinate and produce meaningless text or completely factually inaccurate information to the user okay there is no guarantee that it will produce factually accurate information uh so that is the first thing people should realize um the second thing is that these uh, models are largely trained on data collected up until a certain point now i don't recall which is the, which was the last data collection checkpoint for chatgpt i've heard something like um, you know they took a, a data snapshot back from 2021 so what this means is that the model has not been trained on any developments in the world since then so you could be um, asking it questions it could be giving you very stale information in addition to factually inaccurate information um and uh, people who are unaware might just buy all this and and then you know believe that uh, and that is extremely problematic uh um uh, but there are ways to um enhance these models with external information so this is where uh, a platform like chatgpt are you know they are building so called llm integrated applications okay so they they use a the ton plugins for this so you if you want to get answers on topics that the model has not been trained on 
you can externally fetch this information. So ChatGPT, the, the OpenAI platform does this automatically for you. Let's say you want to book the latest, uh, you want to build a chatbot assistant or use, use ChatGPT to book uh, your vacation travel. Now you can imagine your flight information is probably not was not available back in 2021. So how does it do that? So it, it uses an external databases, fetches that fetches that information and processes it using ChatGPT's intelligence um, to for in, in regards to you know doing NLP tasks and assists you with that information. So there are ways to get around that problem. But unless you are not externally fetching that information, you are getting stale information. Well, I know we've chatted uh, quite a bit about kind of the the negative side, the potential threats and and that, and there are a lot of those out there, but I'm really, I'm really curious, what is something in this space that gives you hope? There is a lot of researchers in the community actively working to understand uh, these issues in, in, in our, in, and not just in security, you find we are researchers working in, in NLP domain, in computer vision, in security, of course, security and privacy community. Um, and you have people um, from the systems and networking community also looking at other aspects in how to scale up these systems so that the, you can build uh, these agents on your phone, provide maybe provide you better security and privacy as well. There are a lot of benign use cases as well, right? So there is very active uh, uh, involvement from the community to, to quickly understand many of these issues and, and try to make some progress. So I'm, I'm hopeful that way, right? And, uh, and because of the popularity of this uh, technology, it of course gets a lot of attention, right? Maybe more than some of the other areas that should also get attention perhaps. And this one, this is always the case, right? When something becomes extremely popular and there is real world adoption, everyone jumps in. If you, you just think about um, ChatGPT's case, right? OpenAI released that model and um, they, they publicly released a very usable tool now there is extreme pressure for industry to release so many other tools as well, right? And you see a lot of other industry and academic uh, groups uh, releasing and open sourcing some of these uh, uh, large models as well. So that's, uh, that's good. That gives me hope. And thanks to Bilmo for sharing his insights related to how artificial intelligence is changing the landscape of the internet. If you or someone you know would make for a great curious conversation, email me at traviskw at vt.edu. I'm Travis Williams, and this has been Virginia Tech's Curious Conversations. Curious Conversations.